and we're back. Coming up on this edition of the Die Hard Den podcast, Shawnee J and I look at the regular season MVPs for the Lions. We also take a look at the coaching changes on the staff for Matt Patricia. Then there's an iPod profile on a Lions player who was also a great broadcaster. And now you know covers how the NFL assigns draft picks. All this and more coming up on this edition of the Die Hard Den podcast. Watch out. Here comes that roar. What up, yo? This is Kurt Steele, and welcome to the Die Hard Damn Podcast. And as always, I'm with my man, Shawnee J. What's happening, good people out there? Hey, let us first apologize. We've had some technical difficulties with some of our audio equipment, and we haven't been able to bring you content over the past few weeks. I know that we posted a giveaway on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we're going to honor that. And we're going to start off this week with the uh, giveaway. And we're only going to have it for a few weeks at the end of January. And the winner will be announced on the first podcast in February. So with that being said, it's time to get into some content, some Lions news. So as always, as we do at this time, it is time to tell me something good. Shawnee J, you're up first this week. My man, tell me something good. Yes, Curtis, I finally had something to tell Lion fans good about. It's been 50 years in the making of the original the bad boy defensive line for the Lions, Alex Karras, finally was voted in to the NFL Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. 50 years, took 50 years for him to get in there. Um, way too long. I understand he had some issues with the gambling suspension back in 63, but hey, Paul Horning was suspended the same year for the same thing, and he got in years ago, back in 86. So I think this is the right thing to do. Um, it took a long time. Hey, it took the great Green Bay offensive lineman, Jerry Kramer, 50 years after his retirement to get in. It took Alex 50 years again. I think 50 is the new wait period. Maybe take Pete Rose 50 years after his death to get into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> finally. But um, the good news, tell me something good. Our man, Alex Karras, is in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully, this will be the kick of some good as the decade of the 20s set off for the Lions. Okay. Well, good news with Alex Karras. My tell me something good is my man, Kenny Galladay. His number got caught up. The player backed out of the Pro Bowl. And Kenny Galladay's alternate number got called up. And he's down in Orlando right now for the Pro Bowl. I think it was an oversight that he should have got elected to the Pro Bowl on the first ballot. So shout out to my man, Kenny Galladay. If you go out on Lions social media on Twitter and uh, Facebook, you can see Darius Slay and Kenny Galladay down there doing big things. Things, getting ready for the Pro Bowl and some of the activities as far as the skills challenges and everything like that. So big shout out to those guys. Have fun down there, fellas. Don't get hurt. And we'll see you in the spring for training camp and OTAs. So and exactly. That's why I don't care about all-star games and sports. I want my guys getting hurt in a meaningless exhibition. Right. Just have fun down there. I've said this in previous podcasts is that I think that the fan experience is a bigger part than the game now as far as the Pro Bowl is concerned. All the, yes. all the activities they have down there at Disney and the skill challenges and the, the dodgeball and stuff like that. I think that stuff makes it better for the fans and you get the chance to interact with the players. When they're playing the game, you don't have that type of uh, interaction, but at some of the events, you know, they can get autographs and take pictures and selfies. And it's just a, a good time for the fans that's down there in Orlando to interact with some of their favorite NFL players. But moving on, it is time to, def- uh, excuse me, to go on the ball. And this week, we're just going to really quick touch on our offensive MVP for the season. Uh, we know Matthew Stafford didn't play the whole season. But of course, he would have been my MVP for the season, but he did not. So my MVP for the season is Kenny Galladay. But uh, lo and behold, the new pro bowler, uh, 65 catches, 1,190 yards, 11 touchdowns, an 18.3 clip per catch. Those uh, yards, touchdowns, and average were top 10 in the NFL. We all know that the touchdowns led the NFL. So big shout out to Kenny Galladay. Who do you got, my man, as your offensive MVP for the season? I go Galladay as well. He was the only um, bright spot of the dismal season, all the injuries that occurred. 
He had to once again play with four different or five different quarterbacks this mm-hmm. season. Or uh, so Kenny Galladay, he PC ball. He got a little injured the last game of the season against Green Bay, a concussion. Uh, I don't want this to be a recurring thing. That's why another reason why I don't particularly want to go play the um, Pro Bowl game. But he's definitely the MVP. I think he's the next great line receiver along with Herman Moore and Calvin Johnson. I think that, you know, that, that Pro Bowl is, a, is just a glorified two-hand touch game. They're not hitting hard anymore down there at the uh, at the Pro Bowl, so I think he'll be all right if he plays in the game. So that's our offensive MVP for the season. Moving on to the defense. Now it is time to defend it then. My defensive MVP for the season was Tracy Walker. 103 tackles, one forced fumble, one interception, and one pass defended. Tracy Walker had a really good season. He had 103 tackles, and he missed time with a knee injury. So uh, he led the team in tackles. Tracy Walker is going to be a big star for the Lions coming up here shortly. Once he gets everything together, he has the size, he has the speed, and he has the the coverage skills. So I think that once he becomes established, I think one thing that took away from his season is that they took away his mentor for the season. When they took away Quandre Diggs and shipped him out to Seattle, that made his season a little bit harder. One, because he got hurt. And two, that made him the senior guy back in the secondary. Tavon Wilson is not really a, a guy that plays in the back end of the secondary. He's a safety, but he plays up around a line of scrimmage. He's kind of that in-the-box safety. So who do you have, my man, for your uh, defensive MVP? I like Tracy Walker, but my defensive Pete, it's got to be, like I said, Trey Flowers, a newcomer from New England. Um, he started off kind of slow with the Lions, but he gradually came on. His injury, his injury healed. Um, mm-hmm. He led the Lions in sacks. He set the edge. He did all the things that the Lions expected from him to do. But with all those injuries on the off defensive line, he needs some help. And he's still my MVP. Um, and we need to talk about this podcast. Some guys the Lions can possibly get in a draft and free agency to help out Flowers this upcoming season. But Flowers is definitely my MVP. So the last category for the MVP for me is going to be uh, for the special teams. It's Jamal Agnew. One kick return for a touchdown. One punt return for a touchdown. I don't think there's another returner in the league that had one in each category. There was one individual out in San Diego. I believe he had two punt returns for a touchdown, but no special teamer had two returns uh, and one in each category for touchdowns. I would say that the only reason that Jamal Agnew did not make all pro or the Pro Bowl because his season started off so rocky as far as the miscues, muff punts, fumbling, kickoffs, but he turned it around. He had a very good season for the rest of the year. Uh, who do you have as your special teams MVP? I'm going with Agnew as well. You know, he's a personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, he has great speed, your return skills. Um, like you say, took one back for a punt return and a kickoff return back. And it was mm-hmm. a question do you make the team? But um, I really like Agnew. Um, I still like to see him, you know, develop his skills so he can play defense, be Perhaps him challenge one of those quarterback jobs or even safety jobs. Mm-hmm. I would like to see, I know we argue about this. You still like to see him, maybe he can be an all round player like wow. Deion Sanders, offense and defense, Charles Wilson, or something like that. So it wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me if he played offense. But I can see him challenge one of the starting defensive back jobs, be a quarterback or a safety. Now, I will say this. He may not have the size. Looking at his size, he's only five foot nine. Now, I know that's not an excuse because Quandre Diggs is about the same height as him. Yeah. However, Diggs is a little bit wider. You know, his tackling skills was better. So if he developed that, he could develop into that, you know, a uh, safety that can play on that back end because he has the speed. I like him on the offensive side of the ball. Like you said, you already know how, what my feelings is. I think he can be a good gadget player. He's proved that in the past where he can come in and he can, he's so fast. He can be a decoy. I just like him on the offensive side of the ball myself. So, well, let's move it on. That's mm-hmm. defend the den. Now it is time for our favorite segment, Two Points Conversing. All right, this week for Two Points Conversing, we have a myriad of topics we want to talk about, but let's start off with the coaching staff changes for the Lions. Now, we already know that they fired a lot of coaches on the staff, but we have a few few new hires. We have uh, Brandon Combs coming over from Cincinnati to be the special teams coordinator. And from what I'm hearing, he has a very good upside. People like him. And they say he has a bright future as a special teams coach. And I guess no place uh, better to start than Detroit. What do you think about the new uh, Brandon Combs being the special teams coordinator? 
Well, I don't know much about him. Uh, like I said, I read some positive things about him, but you got a question. How good could he be coming from Cincinnati, the worst team in the league last year? <laughs> I mean, that's not saying much, but I will give him the benefit of the doubt. He still, even despite being on a bad team, he still got um, his high marks, high praise. So mm-hmm. let's give him a chance. Same thing with the uh, new defense coordinator they got for Philly. Right. Uh, yeah, speaking on that new defensive coordinator, we have Corey Unlin coming over from the Philadelphia Eagles. He worked on uh, Jim Schwartz's staff over there. He's only been a defensive back coach. He's been in the league several years, but he's only has coached that position. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator. Now, here's the question. The question is, does Matt Patricia have an issue hiring his friends? Instead of looking for the best candidate for the job, he's only hiring his friends to come in and fill those positions. Uh, you look at Pasquale, uh, Pasquale, excuse me. That was his mentor and his friend. And you see how that worked out. So do you see a difference? Uh, excuse me. Do you see that potential for the same thing happening with uh, Corey Unlin? Well, of course, everybody's going to hire guys that they're familiar with, got, got um, history with, and they feel comfortable with, and feel comfortable working with. Um, like you said, you know, hopefully, you know, as long as it works, as long as he gets the job done, Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if he's a friend or not. Um, like I said, you know, we heard many times in the sports, the players and coaches don't have to like each other or be good, good friends or get along as long as they're winning. But when you're not winning, it becomes an issue, because becomes a bigger issue. So mm-hmm. it's a tricky situation. Yeah, everybody wants to hire somebody they know, somebody they're familiar with. Um, like I said, you know, connections. As long as he gets the job done, I really don't have a problem with it. But okay. if you don't get the job done, it's a problem. It's, it's the bottom line of winning. Now, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Do you, do you think it would have been a different story if the Texans would have fired Romeo Cornell earlier? Do you think that he would have been a potential candidate for the defensive coordinator job in Detroit since he has have a background with Patricia in New England? Um, William brought Cornell. That's a good question. Bring down the question. I guess you really never know. But once again... You know, Cornell, he he was a loser in Cleveland. He got fired by the Texans. Um, you got the question to hire. I mean, it's like Cornell's a bona fide winner. He's a winner under Belichick, and his coattails were on his own. He's mm-hmm. tend to struggle. So it's, that's a good question. Yes, Patricia has some history with Cornell. I guess mm-hmm. he called him friends. I I don't know if he would hire him. He may was fired, you know, earlier. I'm not sure. I can't say he would have hired him anyway. I don't know. I think he would have been a potential candidate if he would have been fired earlier. I'm not saying it would have changed Patricia's mind or Bob Quinn's mind one way or the other if he would have been uh, released from the Texans, his contract as a coordinator earlier. It's just an interesting question. And, yes, what if? Yes. And then the, the last coach you want to touch on is the new offensive line coach, Hank Fraley. Now, Fraley just moved up. So basically, Davidson left, and they just promoted from within. They just moved uh, Hank up from assistant offensive line coach to the offensive line coach. So what do you think about that decision, uh, and that specifically about the performance of the offensive line and some of the things they did last season? Well, you know, the offensive line, they, they played pretty good. You know, despite all that happened, Freddie was an assistant under Davidson. I did not like, I did not like, um, the rotation that they did. Mm-hmm. The three of the guards. I did not like that. Um, and I don't like how they're handling right now Graham Glasgow situation. It should bring them back definitely. It should be no question. Mm-hmm. Um, Freely, like I said, he, uh, everybody's got to start somewhere. Let's see how good, you know, give him a chance. We'll see, give him a chance, see what we can do. Because everybody got to start somewhere. He's, you know, so this is his first, everybody, you know, get their first coaching job somewhere. So let's see. He's a big dude. Let's see if, if he makes a difference. Um, if he get the line to play better, who knows? But we'll have to just got to give him a chance. Okay. Um, looking at that, there's a few people that I know that got fired that I was expecting, and we both were expecting the, the stricted conditioning program to be turned on his head, and we know that uh, Harold Nash and his assistant, Rodney Hill, both got fired. And basically, the Lions are down at uh, Mobile coaching the Senior Bowl pretty much shorthanded. Yes. They have their quality control guys down there at the Senior Bowl, and Matt Patricia's pretty much running the show down there. You got Bob Quinn, and you have some of the newer uh, coaches that, you know, the three new hires that we have down there. But 
does it make a difference how it's handled that they're short-handed down there in Mobile for the Senior Bowl? It's interesting you say that because prior to Detroit, just did an article saying that it's no big deal the Lions are short-handed. I asked that question myself. And then they felt the staff. Um, like you said, you got quality control guys, you know, you uh, got coaches, you know, unemployed who are down at the senior bowl, putting their resume, trying to get that, um, Patricia's ear for a job. Um, I think Patricia, he wants to run everything, everything, offense, defense, and special teams with little help. He heard that, you know, there's been some questions about how some people, some coverage, you know, media guys out there saying how tough Patricia is running the practices for the senior bowl. He's really working those guys like they're his players on the Lions NFL team. Uh, you heard about that? Yeah, he already yelled at Shea Patrick yes. for a Michigan quarterback for yeah. being sloppy and taking snaps from center. So right. Trisha is a perfectionist. And, you know, I guess these guys, these guys, um, they expect to take it easy this week. I'll say it's an exhibition game, if you will. But they want to play in the pros. They might as well get used to it because, you know, mm-hmm. they put in the work. And Patricia wants to see who's willing to work, who's willing to work hard, who's here just mm-hmm. loafing off, taking this easy, you know. So it's just very interesting. And like I said, he's pretty much running the whole show off his defense special teams with only a few guys on the staff. So Patricia knows the heat is on. He's trying to find some men who'll be willing to play for him. He wants on his team. So I know I'm just, I said I say all this to say that, you know, once again I agree with probably Detroit that I guess it's not a big deal that the staff is shorthanded. Patricia's, mm-hmm. you know, he's overseeing everything, it's more oversight over everything and mm-hmm. he'll, he'll follow the staff when it's time. Right. I would say it's two things that could happen with uh, with Patricia running the show and him being who he is as a coach. Some of these guys are going to get some of that harsh coaching in the pros because of their professionals, and they're going to help be held to a higher standard in the NFL. And then I can see where you can draw some of the kids. Um, you know, millennials, they don't have the same type of uh, motivational uh, tools that you can use with them. And then you can you can shut some of them down where they will underperform when they're under pressure. So we'll see how that affects these guys going forward. Uh, I've seen some of the clips with him on TV uh, and uh, he is the same Matty P. He is in, in Allen Park. So I will say that he's consistent on his behavior and practices. So he's pretty tough on some of those young kids. But we'll see how it works out. Your senior bowls uh, be coming up here on the weekend. A lot of these players that at their senior bowl, some of these guys are trying to improve their draft stock. Right. You don't get all the guys that's going to be down there. You know, some of the guys who pretty much have a good sense of where they're going to go really don't play in the senior bowl because they really don't have a reason to. They know they're going to, you know, what they can do. They're training for the combine, you know, so they're not really worried about the senior bowl. Right. Um, I know Joe Burrows or Chase Young at the senior bowl. Yeah. So you have um, uh, Metellus is down there and Uche is down there from Michigan. So they're down there participating. And Josh Uche really is improving his draft stock. He has some good film for the NFL scouts that's down there. He's pretty much dominating the one-on-one drills uh, down there in the Mobile. So uh, good luck to those guys from the Wolverines. And good luck to all those uh, individuals down there at the Senior Bowl. Me being a homer, I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan. Me too. I'm going to look at those guys for the Wolverines. And before we move on, before we move on to say, as far as Patricia being tough on these guys at a Senior Bowl practice, is that a problem about, you know, young professional athletes? Days? Look at the NBA, yeah, for instance, you know, you got all these young kids want to come out after one year of college or straight out of high mm-hmm. 18, 19 years old. They want to bring their boys, their posses. They want to mm-hmm. travel. They want to live large, live good, the gold chains, the expensive cars, the girls, of course. Mm-hmm. All that comes with them. They want the lifestyle, but they want to put in the hard work. And if the coach... They think the coach is too hard on them, he yells them too much or pushes them too much in practice or asks the nerve to ask him to do wind sprints or something like that. They, they go run to ownership and get the coach fired. I mean, that's why you think turnover is so high, especially in NBA. You think today's um, pro athletes are too young, they're too pampered? And- I will say this. You can't coach today's athletes like you coached the athlete uh, back yes. in the 80s and 90s. Just because millennials are pretty much raised differently. You know, they're... Uh, maturation process and excuse me into society is different how their parents raised them are different so are they used to that tough love and uh hard lines as far as coaching you can't coach those guys like you coach those guys back in the day you can't coach the the kids today like you coach the 89 piston you know chuck daly and those guys it just 
it doesn't work because it's motivation factors don't work the same. You know, you have these uh, kids who really don't deal with stress uh, when, they, they, when they are coming up. You know, their parents try to make their lives as less stressful as possible. And that can spill over into athletics and the way that they deal with stress. And you can't coach a one player the same as you coach another player. I mean, that's just the way that sports are done nowadays. So when I say that they're pampered, some are, some aren't. They're, I think it's just a different era. And you cannot hold them to the same standards as we did back in the day as far as our favorite athletes back in the 80s and 90s. Speaking of the 90s, that's the time when remember the Trail Spiro infamously choked his Chicago's coach, P.J. Kyle's yeah. before the Warriors good. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that very well. And that wasn't a good look for either guy. I, mean, I know P.J. Carlissimo was definitely an individual who was notoriously tough on his players, but he couldn't do that uh, in the pros as he did in college. It's because of the fact that you're coaching grown men, and there's only certain things you're going to tell a grown man, and the way you're going to tell him is really how he's going to react. You know, Spreewell was a veteran in the league, and he wasn't for that disrespect from the coach. Right. So. And that's the one, at least in on this, that's why very few college coach football or basketball um, was a C in the pros. A few might, but very few most don't. Right. Um, and we looking at Jim Harbaugh, I think he's, even with his success at the 49ers, I just think that he missed the college game and he missed the control. And I know he can thrive more at the college level. We just got to get past Ohio State. <laughs> so, because um, we, we didn't beat Sparty enough times, but. And kill Notre Dame. Yeah, kill Notre Dame. So, I, I think that Harbaugh is definitely going to get figured out. I think he's going to have a good recruiting class coming in, but that's neither here nor there. But coaches, uh, like I said, coaching young kids nowadays isn't the same as coaching back in the day. Looking at that, let's look at some of the players on the Lions that could be leaving uh, here shortly uh, when the new league year starts. Um, we have some free agents that are unrestricted on the team that could be leaving. I'm going to say a few names. We're going to read all of them off, and I want to look at if you think they should stay or go in Detroit. Uh, first off the bat, a guy we both, I think we should uh, stay on the team is Graham Glasgow. Definitely should stay. The most steady, reliable office line we had the past few years. I don't see why lines are jerking him around. He should definitely stay. Right. Um, two defensive linemen. You got Ashawn Robinson and Mike Daniel. Now, both of these individuals have expressed interest in staying with the Lions. Right. Um... I still like Ashawn. I won him a few years ago. I thought he should have been the number one draft pick. We were fortunate mm-hmm. to give him a second round. I like Ashawn, but a new attitude, a new commitment. He's still young. As far as mm-hmm. the Angles go, well, I got heard him say that you like to come back, but it's, it's ultimately a business, and he wasn't around enough, and he didn't do much last year. A lot mm-hmm. of $9 million guaranteed, and they get much bang for the money, bang for the buck, if you will. So after right. bring back Robinson, you might let Daniels go, bring somebody young man. One guy that's they're looking at bringing back, which is a longer tooth guy, is uh, Danny Amendola. They were looking at bringing him back. I like Amendola on the Lions. I think he had a yeah. pretty good season. He did. He had his best seasons, and you know he still got his good quickness, good hands. He's a good locker room guy. I would bring him back on a one year deal, so I wouldn't have right. really brought him back. All right, last two guys I want to uh, talk about is two members of the secondary. You got Rashawn Melvin, and you have Miles Killebrew. Do you think that you could bring one of those, either one of those guys, back to the Lions? Um, Melvin. Um, he he started I was strongly faded at the end. I guess you show why he's been on what seven or eight teams in his NFL career. Um, right. if, 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 if you um, say like you draft the Lions draft a Cuda and they signed a phrase because they said that um, the new mm-hmm. defensive coordinator might bring some guys in, some veteran guys like Chris Harris, a guy, a guy from the Eagles who brings two new corners in. You let Melvin go. And as far as uh, Miles Killebrew goes, um, um, I was I'm disappointed in him. I thought he'd be a star by now. He used to draft to be the starting strong safety or free safety. That hasn't happened. He's a good special teamer. But once again, depending on who you get for free team in the draft, you might look at looking Killebrew go to because he barely made the team last year. It was, he wasn't essential to make the team. So you got this. You can let both those guys go as long as you replace them. Looking at that, who do you think as far as looking at, we're going to bring this topic up again, uh, looking at a couple of running backs in the draft. 
draft, uh, potential draft picks or prospects. We all know the Lions had the revolving door this season with the injuries with Carrion Johnson, Ty Johnson, and anybody else they brought in there. Even Bo Scarborough spent some time on the shelf and he was only there for a few games. There are a couple running backs in the draft that we looked at. Um, one guy I really liked, another guy you really liked. Why don't you talk about Jonathan Taylor? That's your guy. So yes. What's up with the Jonathan Taylor? What makes him uh, your pick if we pick a line, uh, excuse me, a running back in the first two rounds? Yeah, before I get to Taylor, I just want to say I'm very surprised that three of the running backs that didn't come out of the draft. They're Travis Etienne of Clemson, um, mm-hmm. um, Najee Harris of Alabama, and also Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State. I'm very mm-hmm. surprised those three guys, guys didn't come out. They would have come out. They would make this running back class even greater. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into Taylor, are you surprised those three guys didn't come out? They just had to go back with the injury injury risk being so high for running backs. I think that with Etienne, I think he has something to prove. I think he wants to go back. Well, he already won national championships. Right. He, but he wants another one. And then you had to look at the, um, maybe he was scouted and they said, hey, you know, you might want to stay at, uh, another year at school. Depends on what the piss people are telling him. Or he just may want to go back and play in college. He's not done with the college experience. I mean, everyone's not a three and out guy. I mean, some people want to stay. Um, I understand what you're saying with the, uh, with the injury rate and the fruition rate of running backs in both college and the professional ranks. But I think those guys may have something to prove and they want to go back and they're not just not done with the college experience yet. Okay. I mean, I mean, I applaud them, you know, maybe they want to be a senior and graduate and have a degree before they come out into the NFL. And like I say, I guess yeah, I, I can respect the decisions, but I'm surprised. I mean, because they, they reached the pinnacle of the of um, college sports, especially international titles, and um, there's not much more to prove for any of them. But I do respect their decisions of going back. It's it's just some courage, you know. Remember Bryce Love, a Stanford made the same decision. Mm-hmm. You know, he rushed over two thousand yards. He went back, got hurt. And it hurt his drafts. Now he's um kind of a journeyman. He's not getting much time. He's with the Redskins now. Mm-hmm. So it's always at risk. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Definitely. back to your original question. I'm sorry. I, I had to mention that. I had to bring that up. Jonathan Taylor. I love Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin. You know, I love Wisconsin's big offensive lineman. And Taylor, you know, Wisconsin has some good running backs as well as offensive linemen. Taylor, he rushed for over 6,000 yards in three years. He's a workhorse. He's durable. He has good size. He, uh, um, he, we disagree on this. He reminds me a little bit of both Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. He has good mm-hmm. speed. Once again, durable. Um, he can move the chains. He's the type of running back the Lions want. A big running back. Well, I don't want. They don't want no little five, eight, hundred, eighty pound running back. No, not very durable. I want a big guy. That's why I like Taylor. And one, one more guy I want to throw on that list. So I like who may we may get in the third round. We you know, and that is AJ Dillon from Boston College. He's a big boy. He's built mm-hmm. six feet, two hundred fifty pounds. He was originally at University of Michigan. Commit, but he decommitted to Michigan with the Boston College State home play ball. And he rushed for at least 1,300 yards every year, three years in college. He's another uh, big boy, a running back, you know, a workhorse, durable, strong, the type of guy I like, the type of guy Daryl Bevel and uh, Patricia likes. I wouldn't mind having mm-hmm. the Taylor or Dylan on my team next year for the Lions. Those two right. guys I like. That with that size, I mean, he sounds like another um, Derrick Henry. Yes, or the bus. Yes, yeah, really big guy. Now the other guy I was looking at was J.K. Dobbins. As much as I don't like the team from Ohio, um, Dobbins does remind me of Ezekiel Elliott. He's about that same size. Um, you know, about five ten, almost almost two twenty. Uh, I was, if you look at his performance in the bowl game versus Clemson, I mean, he went down for a little bit, taped his ankle back up. Uh, he had a really good game. I know people are going to talk about the drop pass and things of that nature. and But, you know, he's still only a young man. But I think he had an excellent career at Ohio State. But uh, I like J.K. Dobbins. I like his top-end speed. I think he's faster than Taylor. I think he has uh, more fluid cuts and moves through the hole than Taylor does. It would be an interesting uh, fact to bring him, him in. Now, I'm not saying that the Lions need to draft a running back, but it would be nice to have a good, solid, durable back. Uh, I like Carrion as much as I do, but he just has the injury book. He's had it in a, for a while. 
since he was at Auburn. Um, and both years he's been in the league, you know, he's had significant time on the shelf because he's been injured. I mean, we'll see how that works out and what Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia's thinking is going into the draft. That's the Lions. Saying you're up with everybody, but I think the Lions do to take another running back. For that reason, Kerry Young's talented, but um, mm-hmm. but injury prone. Same thing with both Scarborough. I love Scarborough. I want him back on the team, which you can't mm-hmm. count on him being you know those guys being number one guy because they're both too injury prone. Right. Or they could be like Seattle. I mean, Seattle had that running back by committee. I mean, a lot of teams have that, you know, running back by committee. You had Carson out there and uh, what's the name with Shaw Penny. But the only problem with Seattle was that all three of those guys got hurt. Yes. At the end of the, at the, end of the season, and they end up signing up. Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch and uh, the other guy off their street. I mean, these are older, longer than two players that uh, came back to their roster because of the fact they needed some uh, running backs to play in the playoffs. So, that's the um, that's always downfall of having running backs in the NFL right now is that with the linebackers and the safeties and all those guys, I mean, it's easier for those guys to get injured. They definitely have a shorter career uh, than any other position in the NFL just because of the fact they take a lot of hard hits and they uh, have run the risk of uh, having a higher injury rate. Yes. Position. So, um, so moving on to the next topic, who are some of the guys that you think the Lions should bring in in free agency? Okay, I got a couple names, offense and mm-hmm. defense. If mm-hmm. if you don't oh, want to draft a running back, a lot of guys in that group scoff when I mentioned the draft of the running back. I'm not saying draft on the third overall pick, but they wouldn't take one at all. Are oh, we cool with Carrion and um, Scarborough? Like mm-hmm. you see the injury call. If you don't want to draft one, I say, you know, if he's available, Tennessee's foolish enough not to franchise him. We should go after Derrick Henry because he really mm-hmm. impressed me. I mean, we'll see. I love those big running backs. I mean, Kansas City, they found a way to slow him down, obviously. But he was, he, they got that far off Henry's back. Henry, mm-hmm. Henry carried him to the AFC Championship game. And this place, I'm surprised Tennessee team questioning if they want to bring him back or not. It's your franchise. There should be no doubt about it. But once again, mm-hmm. they're the same mindset that all running backs are expendable. It's easy to find a 1,500 yard rusher off the streets or as a free agent or in the seventh round of draft. It's not that easy. So I would like Henry. And a guy on defense, I want to bring back an old friend of ours. You know what I'm talking about? You know, he had a broken heart years ago, but I still think he can. He has one year left in the tank, and that's big and Damakon Sue. I, I was thinking mm-hmm. a one year deal, like a Tamarus re uh, a Sue Union. Um <laughs> I think he he can still help the young guys like the um Han and Asian Robinson and especially mm-hmm. as snacks retires. I think it'd be a nice fill mm-hmm. in. If you wanna draft a defensive tackle, that's fine. But Sue he'll he'll give some security. So I would, I would love to have Henry and Sue come back definitely. Edge rusher from the Bucks. That's the guy, what's the name, Shaquille, uh, Shaq uh, Barrett. Yes. Is the one guy I would want to come in and help um, Trey Flowers. You have an established defensive edge guy. I think those two, and that would take the pressure off of, of having to draft a young guy like Chase Young where you have an established defensive end on both sides. So, it would not be an issue where you have to grow in pains with a rookie. So that's my guy, Shaq Barrett, coming up. I think that's to be a good addition. And plus, he's just a really good guy. If you go out on social media, there's a, um, an article where he met a, a longtime Bucks fan. Uh, I think he was a young kid, and his dad had died of uh, ALS. And uh, he met him down at the Pro Bowl. You know, that's... You know, Tampa and Orlando is only about a couple hours away by car. So, you know. But one thing, Chuck Barrett scares me. He had a career year, what, 19 half sacks last year. Mm-hmm. And that was a career. You know, that's one thing that bothers me. How did he have such a big career? I mean, a big year last year. Best year right. One of the best years in NFL history. Um, did he cheat, if you know what I mean? Did he use enhancing, you know, steroids or anything? That's the question I've been asking. How did he go from being an average football player to all of a sudden Lawrence Taylor? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, his season raised eyebrows. Uh, right. You know, like just like, for instance, um, Patrick Peterson, he was suspended for many games this past season for using PhDs. So, like I said, Shepard, I'm kind of, you know, I'm looking at him kind of side eyed. I mean, how you go from being 
basically Kyle Van Noy to Lawrence Taylor overnight. So, you know. Well, Kyle Van Noy got a couple Super Bowls. So I <laughs> yeah, but he could have won him easily without him. It wasn't like he, he dominated. He was like Lawrence Taylor of the Patriots either. So, <laughs> so but. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah, but does that bother you about Barry? How do you get so good so fast? I don't because. Here's the deal. There's from one season to the next could be your make or break season. So everyone in the NFL isn't the greatest talent in the world off the rip. You know, some players develop into a, a good player and it takes them a few years to really get into how the NFL is played. And then sometimes it could be scenery, you know, a new team, you know, you have a new lot on life, new coaching. So there's a, there could be a lot of factors into the fact how he became what he is. Now at Tampa compared to he was at the, at the other team, so I, I think that I give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think he just had a hell of a season. And I think that he can improve on that, and I wouldn't mind having him in the Honolulu Blue and Silver. So I mean that that's just me. All right, um, moving on. Uh, I think the last thing I really want to uh, touch as and and it was a breaking news that just happened, and it'll be out uh, when this podcast comes out the next day or so. Um, Antonio Brown again. It just happened. It is uh Wednesday night, the twenty second of January, and the time is uh, roughly around nine twenty. Next, in a a couple minutes ago, arrest warrant was issued for Antonio Brown, uh, charged with uh battery and burglary. Um, I will say this: I think that young man has some mental issues. Um, I don't think it's just acting out. I don't think he's just acting tough. I think he has a serious, serious mental issue. And I think that that's a stigma, especially in the uh, athletic community where, you know, these athletes, they get it where they don't feel that they need to talk to anybody or they get this big ego. And then you have situations where you have people like Antonio Brown who may have had some mental issues in the past, but they just manifest themselves when they put them and they get this big ego you give a person who has a, uh, what do you call that, who are fragile, and then you put them with money and fame, but they don't know how to handle it, and no one's ever taught them how to handle it, and it's a success, but then no one's around to really help guide them. What about then, the basketball player, you know? Yeah, Delonte West. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's a sad story in itself. I mean, um, mental issue uh, is definitely a problem in sports, and particularly for these two young men. Now, I'll, guess, I'll just say this, and I will leave it alone. I'll leave it alone, is that as an African-American male, that that's definitely an issue in our community where you have men who don't want to uh, get help. They, they, they just try to power through it. Um, and there's no such thing as powering through it through mental health. If you have an issue, you need to address it. You know, talk to somebody, talk to a counselor, talk to your pastor, talk to somebody. But you can't just uh, go for a run, uh, go work out. You need to address it with a mental health professional. I mean, it's for your sake and for the sake of your family. Now you have this man out here acting a fool in front of his kids, in front of the police, threatening police officers. Um, you know, I just think there's something not right with Antonio Brown, and I wish him to get the help that he needs because his behavior is not only wrong, it's, it's dangerous, and he's going down a slope where, you know, Antonio Brown, you know, could very well be behind bars for a number of years because he didn't get the help he needed before he, uh, excuse me, before he went behind bars because his his behavior is definitely one of someone who needs some uh, mental health uh, help. Yeah, you think you're ever playing NFL again or he's done? I think he's pretty much done right now. I mean, unless he has this really uh, remarkable uh, turnaround where he may have a year off to sit and, you know, go into an inpatient care I, I don't think he plays next season. If he plays, it'd be two thousand. Excuse me, twenty twenty one. And if you gotta look at him, he's getting a little bit longer in the tooth as well. But um, it's just sad that you know to see him in the state of affairs that he's um, put himself in as a in his personal life. Yeah, yeah. So that being said, that was two points conversing one of our favorite favorite segments of the show. When we get back. 
from the break, we will have a all-pride profile on a longtime Lions player and a broadcast legend. break shawnee j let me know and let the people know who you have for your our pride profile this week today i would like to talk about a lion old school lion one of the best players in nfl history who a lot of fans younger fans don't know about never heard of and that was the lions one of the lion's greatest players one of the longest tenure players in history mr wayne walker wayne walker born in boise idaho in 1935 he went to university of Idaho, where he was a teammate and good friend roommate of future rival Jerry Kramer of the Green Bay Packers. They still made friends during their playing days and afterwards. I'm talking about Kramer and Walker. Walker was drafted to the Lions in 1958, the year after they won their last championship. He played a didn't record 200-plus games for the Lions from 1958 to 1972. His record was um, broken a few years ago by play secure Jason Hansen in terms of games playing longevity, but he's still one of the greatest Lions players in their history. He's a three-time pro bowler. In addition to being a linebacker, he also did some place kicking kick field goals for the Lions for, for a few years. Once Walker, before Walker's career ended, he was thinking about his future at the football. So in the last few years of his Lions career, he, he did weekend sports anchoring gigs for several different local news stations. And once his career retired, he got a job out at the CBS affiliate in San Francisco. He was a longtime broadcaster, radio broadcast, radio voice of the San Francisco 49ers. And he was the sports director for the local San Francisco affiliate for CBS for over 20 years. Once he and his wife finally retired from broadcasting, he went back to home to Boise, Idaho, and where he still couldn't leave quite leave it alone. They did a they did a wilderness show, uh, you know up in Idaho, so Walker is still very popular. But as he aged, Father Time Caldwell, he suffered several concussions in his career. And back then, you know, they didn't take concussions as seriously as they do now. And right. he eventually died of Alzheimer's disease at the ripe old age of 82 years old in 2017. So number 55, the original number 55, Wayne Walker, one of the best players NFL history, he should also be in the Hall of Fame one day. So there's my pride profile of the week. Right. Now, looking at the contributor, I mean, he could definitely go in as a different categories in the Hall of Fame. You're looking at where he can go in as a broadcaster as well as a player. He should go in as a player so, for um, sure. A player can yeah. get career, he put in numbers. Um, he only played one playoff game. That's the thing. I I think that's wrong. You shouldn't just look at, you know, the teams. We look at the, the statistics, like um, how the, how the heck did Dick Buckus and, and Gail Sayers get in the Hall of Fame when they never made the playoffs at all. They only played right. one or two winning teams for Chicago. So, hey, they should have been right. there if you want to base it on that. Right. And Gail Sayers would have definitely had a shortened career as well. So yes. Any injury. But, hey, I hear you. Um, but, Wayne Walker is definitely uh, worthy of our prior profile. Now, it's time for Now You Know. We're going to look at how the NFL assigns draft picks, and we'll be back right after this. Now You Know is brought to you by Foster Camera Solutions. For your home or business security needs, call Dan at Foster Camera Solutions for a free estimate at 248-672-8640. With no monthly fees and self-monitoring from your smartphone, computer, or tablet, let Foster Camera Solutions design a security camera system that fits your needs. You can also visit their Facebook page for more information at facebook.com slash Foster Camera Solutions. Remember, Foster Camera Solutions when securing your home or business. What up, though? This is Kurt Steele, and welcome to this week's edition of Now You Know. This week, we're going to cover how the NFL assigns draft picks for the upcoming NFL draft. 
the season is over. So we're going to show how the NFL uses the record from the previous season to determine the upcoming draft order for the NFL draft. The information comes directly from the NFL rulebook and the NFLoperations.com website. If you want to check it out and read it for yourself. So let's hop to it. Currently, each of the 32 teams in the NFL will receive one draft pick in each of the seven rounds of the NFL draft. Now, this has changed over the years. In previous years, there were as much as 30 rounds for the draft. Luckily, we have toned that back, and now the NFL only has seven rounds. The order of selection is determined by the reverse order of finish in the previous season. Barring any trades between clubs, each round starts with the team that finished with the worst record and ends with the Super Bowl champions. Now you can see in there it says barring any trades. Most likely, we all know teams make trades for players and or trade up and down within a in the draft itself. So every team does not have a pick in each round because what they've traded away for another player or they wanted to change draft positions and maybe they traded back or up in the draft and traded out of their position in the next round. Teams that did not qualify for the playoffs are assigned draft slots 1 through 20. The order is determined by the standings at the end of the regular season. The club with the worst record will pick first. This year, we know that's the Cincinnati Bengals, and the team with the best record will pick 20th. Now, this year, Lions fans, we all know that the Lions will pick third because they have the third worst record in the league. Teams that did qualify for the playoffs are assigned draft slots 21 through 32. The order is determined by the results of the previous year's postseason play. The four teams eliminated in the wild card round in slots 21 through 24 in the reverse order of their regular season record. The same thing goes for the four teams eliminated in the divisional round in slots 25 through 28 in the reverse order of their regular season record. The same thing goes for the two teams that lose in the conference championship. They pick 29th and 30th and it's in reverse order of their regular season record. The team that lost the Super Bowl picks 31st and the team that won a Super Bowl picks 32nd. In situations where teams finished the previous season with identical records, the determination of draft position is decided by strength of schedule. The aggregated winning percentage of the team's opponents. The team that played the schedule with the lowest winning percentage will be awarded the higher draft pick. So basically, if you had two teams that finished with identical records, the team that played the schedule with the lower winning percentage will receive the higher draft pick. So if you have two teams that finished with the same record and the one team played better teams, they will get their lower draft pick. So they will get the um, number two draft pick over the team that would pick the third. So if the Lions and the Redskins had the same record, the Lions played better teams, they will pick third and the Redskins will pick second. Just for example, we already know that the Lions are picking third for this draft. If the teams that have the same strength of schedule, division, or conference tiebreakers are applied. So basically, if you had two teams that played in the same conference or the same divisions, the team that had the higher winning percentage within the conference or the division will get the higher draft pick and the other team will get the lower draft pick. Now, if the division or conference tiebreakers do not apply or ties still exist between the teams and different conferences, the ties will be broken with the following tiebreaker method. So a head-to-head. So one team had the same record as another team, but they played each other. The team that won would get the higher draft pick. The best one lost high percentage in common games. That means their record between if they played the same opponents. The strength of victory in all games. The best combined ranking of all teams in points scored and points allowed in games. The best net points in all games or the best net touchdown in all games if everything was still the same. Now, at the end of the day, if everything is still equal, they will just do a coin toss to determine who's going to pick higher. So 
There you have it. Assigning draft picks. If you don't know, now you know. Like my man Biggie Small said, baby, baby. Now let's get back to the Die Hard Gen podcast with my man, Shawnee J. From now, you know, uh, hope you enjoyed that piece on how the NFL assigns draft picks. Now, we promised you this, and we're going to read the rules for the giveaway for the eco-friendly hand-woven backpack, uh, Lions theme. So here's the rules for the giveaway. So you need to either like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, or follow the show on Instagram. And then you need to like the Facebook post or tweet or Instagram post that this podcast is going to be on for this week. And then you need to email the word of the week to the show email account and make sure you include what platform you're following the show on so I can verify who you are in the email and that you follow the show on one of the platforms. Now, the word of the week this week is pride. Pride is the word of the week this week. So email that account, which is diehardinpodcast.com at gmail.com and you email prior to that email address and you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash diehardin or you can uh, follow the show on Twitter at diehardinpodc1 or you can follow the show on Instagram at die underscore hard underscore den underscore podcast on Instagram. Now, we're looking forward to giving this bag away. I've had it on the shelf for a minute, but due to the technical difficulties that we had, we weren't able to have the giveaway uh, in a timely manner, like we said. But we're going to honor the giveaway uh, nevertheless, and we have some other things we're going to be giving away in the future. But you have to listen to the podcast to figure out if you won the bag or not. And that way, excuse me, once we announce the winner, we also will give instructions to the winner of the bag on how to claim the prize. So that is the rules for our giveaway for the eco-friendly knapsack uh, hand-woven bag. So, and now it is time for us to go ahead and get on out of here. Shawnee J, let the people know how they can find you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Sean Jennings. I'm also the head administrator of Detroit Lions Truest fan page on Facebook. If you want to join, I'd be happy to add you. I'll keep the fans updated all off season. What's Lions doings? Right. And you can find me. Uh, my personal accounts is at CurtisSteel14 on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you can follow the show on those platforms I can want again uh, on facebook.com is facebook.com slash diehardin on twitter is at diehardinpodc1 on instagram is at die underscore hard underscore den underscore podcast and if you want to email the show it is diehardinpodcast at gmail.com we look forward to interacting with you all and definitely going to have some fun giving uh, this bag away and some other prizes coming up in the future. Uh, we definitely appreciate you listening in to our podcast here at the Die Hard Den Podcast. We look forward to bringing you some uh, content, definitely get into the draft, and looking forward to the new uh, upcoming league year that's going to start here early March. So as always, from a man, Shawnee J, this is Kurt Steele. And from the Die Hard Den Podcast, thank you again for listening. And we are out.